You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of truth, which the world cannot accept, because it neither sees nor knows it. But you know it, because it remains with you, and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live, and you will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm Dr. Donald Wallenfang. It's a great joy to be with you once again, talking about a great saint and a beautiful prayer within the Catholic tradition, specifically within the realm of Carmelite spirituality, this prayer to the Most Holy Trinity by St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, a late 19th century French discalced, that is, shoeless, Carmelite nun. This is a tremendous prayer, one of my favorites. As a fellow secular discalced Carmelite myself, I really look forward to unpacking this prayer with you. St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, just a couple things about her life. She lived from 1880 to 1906, so died very young at the age of 26 while in the Carmelite monastery. She had only been a Carmelite nun for five years entering the Carmelites at age 21. She was a woman who was very focused on Christ and the things of God and the spiritual life. Earlier in her life, in her teenage years, she was a very accomplished pianist and she won a prize, first prize in a piano competition at a local music conservatory in her uh, teenage years. And St. Elizabeth exchanged all of these pursuits of music and marriage. She had several men asking her hand in marriage, but she declined because of her desire to become a Carmelite nun. And she would enter the Carmelite monastery, which she grew up near. It was only about 
200 meters from her home, and she was very happy there. She said she found all her joy in being a Carmelite, and she loved her, her cell, her little room in the monastery, and she even said in a letter that perhaps she loves her cell too much, and one day she would have to give it up too. And in a real sense, she did as she contracted Addison's disease uh, and died very young again at the age of 26. But through all of her suffering, she praised God. I think that's a great and important thing to notice in her life. No matter what was going on, she praised God, and she wanted to be known toward the end of her life as a laudum gloriae. That is a praise of glory, to quote a couple passages from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1. She wanted to be a praise of glory in everything she did, whether doing laundry, washing dishes, just doing very simple chores, eating, sleeping, praying. Whatever she did, she wanted to be a praise of glory. She didn't write any long theological treatises or anything, but we have several of her letters left behind, uh, and also she led some retreats for her fellow Carmelite nuns. Very powerful reflections in those. Every day I try to read a little excerpt of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and I'm moved every time by her writings. Even if I've read them dozens of times before, I'm so moved by her writings. So I want to feature this very famous prayer to the Most Holy Trinity of hers. This is her most well-known writing, for sure. And I'll begin just by reading the prayer. It has a little length to it. And then I'll go back and maybe comment on a few passages of this prayer. So let's have a listen and even pray with her. Oh my God, Trinity whom I adore, help me to forget myself entirely that I may be established in you as still and as peaceful as if my soul were already in eternity. May nothing trouble my peace or make me leave you, O my unchanging one, but may each minute carry me further into the depths of your mystery. Give peace to my soul, make it your heaven, your beloved dwelling, and your resting place. May I never leave you there alone, but be wholly present, my faith wholly vigilant, wholly adoring, and wholly surrendered to your creative action. O my beloved Christ, crucified by love, I wish to be a bride for your heart. I wish to cover you with glory. I wish to love you even unto death. But I feel my weakness, and I ask you to clothe me with yourself to identify my soul with all the movements of your soul, to overwhelm me, to possess me, to substitute yourself for me, that my life may be but a radiance of your life. Come into me as adorer, as restorer, as savior. O eternal word, word of my God, I want to spend my life in listening to you, to become wholly teachable, that I may learn all from you. Then through all nights, all voids, all helplessness. I want to gaze on you always and remain in your great light. O oh, my beloved star, so fascinate me that I may not withdraw from your radiance. 
O consuming fire spirit of love, come upon me and create in my soul a kind of incarnation of the word, that I may be another humanity for him in which he can renew his whole mystery. And you, O Father, bend lovingly over your poor little creature, cover her with your shadow, seeing in her only the beloved in whom you are well pleased. O my three, my all, my beatitude, infinite solitude, immensity in which I lose myself, I surrender myself to you as your prey. Bury yourself in me, that I may bury myself in you, until I depart to contemplate in your light the abyss of your greatness. Amen. So there it is. The Prayer to the Most Holy Trinity by St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Let's go back then and think about the structure of this prayer and highlight a few of the beautiful theological moments. So I think the first thing to notice is that the prayer is divided up into three parts, one dedicated to each of the three persons of the Trinity, beginning with God the Father, going to God the Son, and concluding with God the Holy Spirit, yet a kind of recapitulation with reference to God the Father at the very end. We notice in Christian liturgy and Christian prayer, this is how it works, what we call the doxology, that classic glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. We notice all liturgical prayer moves through God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and finds its final destination in God the Father. So a lot of prayers conclude, we ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. So prayer ultimately directed to God the Father through God the Son and the Holy Spirit. We notice this in the prayer to the Holy Spirit of St. Elizabeth. So going back to the very beginning, we see at the outset an emphasis on self-forgetfulness when she writes, O oh my God, Trinity whom I adore, help me to forget myself entirely that I may be established in you as still and as peaceful as if my soul were already in eternity. So she's really beginning with the end in mind here, thinking about this eschatological destiny, this life after death, where there is the rest of God, the soul enters into the rest of God, still and peaceful, kind of peace that nothing can take away, characterized by quiet stillness, solitude yet community. But she asks God the Father to help her forget herself entirely in order to be established in him. So this is the necessary goal of the Christian life, of Christian discipleship, that we would forget ourselves on the journey, in the process, on the road following Christ, because we're so fixated on him. We're also fixated on our neighbor, the face of the other person who looks at me, who is nearby. So this is the beginning, and we also notice it's the end of her prayer, uh, toward the very end, where she says, O oh, my three, my all, my beatitude, that is my happiness, 
infinite solitude. That's a paradox here to call God an infinite solitude, God who is three persons. An infinite solitude. Contemplating how is God a solitude? Solitude in relation to any creature, I suppose, but yet never alone. This is the paradox. What we mean by Christian solitude, it's being alone with the capital A alone, St. Elizabeth says elsewhere. And that is precisely not to be alone. <laughs> That's the paradox. To be alone with the divine alone is not to be alone. Therefore, I am never alone. Ah, it's so reassuring, this prayer, this truth about our existence. We are never alone. We are not lost in a multitude, in a sea of faces, in this anonymous crowd. Every person is precious in relation to God. This is why we exist, because God loved us into being. So we notice this call to surrender at the beginning and end of the prayer, as well as this call toward self-forgetfulness. Then as we go back to the beginning of the prayer, we notice a real Carmelite theme here when she writes, Give peace to my soul, make it your heaven, your beloved dwelling, and your resting place. So, thinking about St. Teresa of Avila, the foundress of the Reformed Order of Carmelites, called the Discalced or Shoeless Carmelites, aiming at a greater spiritual austerity, asceticism, discipline. So that's the shoeless uh, adjective is symbolic of the spiritual life of this Carmelite with an intensification of penance and contemplation. So St. Elizabeth is, is part of this discalced Carmelite order. So St. Elizabeth with St. Teresa of Avila understands the soul to be an interior castle. God's heaven on earth. And she prays that God the Father would make it his heaven, his beloved dwelling, his resting place, his residence, his address. This is the beauty of the mystery of the human soul. It is created to be a dwelling place of God, a living tabernacle of the Most Holy Trinity. Yes, your soul, my soul. If we only let God renew his residence within us. This is so true. You are that precious. You are heaven on earth. Again, a great paradox. We are these terrestrial beings, and yet at the same time we are celestial beings, heavenly beings that God created to live in, to move in, to circulate, in and through us, his love, his peace, his mercy, his goodness, his beauty, his truth. So this is a tremendous truth in itself, that your soul is God's heaven on earth. Then we move to the second part of the prayer, where she addresses this to Jesus, to Christ, who is the eternal Son of God the Father. So to say Jesus Christ is at once to say God the Son, because he is true God and true man. She says that he was crucified by love 
and so she wishes to be a bride for his heart. Again, this is a very Theresian theme, going back to St. Teresa of Avila, especially what she says in her work, The Interior Castle, where she talks about spiritual marriage. And as we move deeper and deeper into the mystery of the soul that we are, we are brought to the altar of spiritual marriage with the Most Holy Trinity, a bond that is indissoluble, that can never be broken. And this is what God calls every human being to, a spiritual marriage to enter into what we read in the book of Revelation. is called the wedding feast of the Lamb. And to celebrate this glorious life for eternity. So she's talking to Jesus. And here she confesses her weakness. Says, but I, I feel my weakness. And therefore she asks him Jesus to clothe her with himself, to identify her soul with all the movements of his soul, to overwhelm her, possess her, substitute himself for her, that her life may be but a radiance of his life. She says she wants to spend her life listening to him and prays that she would become wholly teachable, that she would learn everything from Christ. And, and so we see here this unity of the human nature of Jesus and the divine nature of Jesus within this prayer itself. Here, St. Elizabeth is becoming very confessional, admitting her weakness, referring to all the nights and voids and helplessness, the hel helpless feeling experiences in life, that she would not withdraw from his radiance no matter what. But she begins her description of Christ as the crucified one. And because he's the crucified one, he can help us in all of our crucifixions, all of our sufferings. He is there with us. He does not leave us abandoned and alone, no matter what we're going through. Incredible passage, the second part. Then the final part of this prayer to the Holy Trinity, where she refers to the consuming fire, the spirit of love, God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Most Holy Trinity. And she asked God the Holy Spirit to create in her soul a kind of incarnation of the Word, that she may be another humanity for him, Jesus, in which he can renew his whole mystery. This is a very profound and beautiful passage we have here asking God the Holy Spirit to renew the incarnation of Christ in St. Elizabeth and we can pray this with her too we can pray that God the Holy Spirit would create in us a new incarnation of the word as we pray that classic prayer come Holy Spirit fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love send forth your spirit and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. And this is how God would renew the face of the earth, according to St. Elizabeth, by God the Holy Spirit creating in our souls a kind of incarnation of the word, a perpetuation of the incarnation of Jesus in and through us. And this makes sense in as much when we receive the Lord in the Eucharist, he renews his life in us. And we are his witnesses. We are his mystical body throughout the world. 
We are the salt, leaven, and light throughout the world. That leaven mixed in with the flour so that the whole batch of dough would rise. Finally, in this prayer to the Holy Trinity, she concludes, O oh my three, my all, my beatitude, infinite solitude, as we heard before, immensity, in which I lose myself, I surrender myself to you as your prey. This sounds rather unusual, we might say. Why is she saying she wants to be the prey, P-R-E-Y, of God? To read St. Albert the Great, we hear him saying that the greatest love desires to make of itself food for the beloved, as Jesus does for us. So she is reciprocating that becoming Eucharist, making of her, her life an offering for God, not to destroy, but to receive and renew. She goes on to say, bear yourself in me, speaking to all three persons of the Trinity, bear yourself in me that I may bury myself in you until I depart to contemplate in your light the abyss of your greatness. So this is the classic theological notion of mutual indwelling. Bury yourself in me that I might bury myself in you. In Greek, it's called perichoresis. In Latin, circumincessio. This mutual indwelling, first of all, of the three persons of the Trinity, and that we are invited to share in this mutual indwelling in as much as we let God the Trinity bury himself in us, that we might bury ourselves in him. And then it ends with this, this summons to contemplation. In the light of God, which is at once an abyss of his greatness, referring really to the, the hiddenness of God, the incomprehensibility of God, and at the same time, it's a, it's a light, at once light and abyss. So this is a common theme, this chiaroscuro. We also say uh, this uh, theme that combines light and darkness in reference to God, uh, the God who reveals himself, but the God, by definition, who always, in a sense, remains hidden and incomprehensible, uh, always far more saturating than our creaturely beings can contain. This is the prayer of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity to the Most Holy Trinity. It's a great gift to be able to share it with you on this episode of the Catholic Fragments podcast. I'll put a link to the prayer in the description that accompanies the podcast. And my prayer for you is that you would continue to penetrate ever more deeply into the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity. And I think that in our time, it's just so important that when we approach God, we don't approach God always as generic God in, in this monotheistic concept, which is part of the truth. But especially we approach God as a trinity of persons that God revealed himself to be. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So may we continue to live our lives approaching the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity through the solitude of contemplative prayer 
and the charity of fraternal communion as the mystical body of Christ. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness 